Hey, good morning. I'm Playbook Deputy Editor Zach Stanton, and it is Friday, May 19th. Though House Speaker Kevin McCarthy suggested a couple days ago that he wanted to have a debt limit deal in place by the start of the weekend, as of right now, on Friday morning, that does not seem likely to happen. As a reminder, June 1st has been settled as the potential X date when the federal government would default. And if you look at the calendar, you'll see that's just 13 days away. So, to make it through Congress by June 1st, which means jumping through all sorts of procedural hoops, negotiators are probably going to need to broker some sort of debt limit compromise in the next couple of days. What happens if the negotiators don't reach a deal by the end of the weekend? Well, my colleagues Caitlin Emma and Jennifer Schultes have a smart piece up this morning on basically the three paths forward to raise the debt limit by June 1st. The first path is basically the current one. Next week, the Senate is in recess, so all the focus is going to be on the House. And Kevin McCarthy believes it'll take about four days to pass any potential legislation through the House. Now, that's because back in January, to win the speakership, he promised some disaffected Republicans that he'd give lawmakers 72 hours to review bills before they had a floor vote. Now, true, there's nothing in the rule book that says he has to do that. You know, he could just ignore that promise. But if he did that, then he's really risking the wrath of his right flank, which he needs uh, in order to maintain his speakership. Option two is a short punt. Basically, this would be a bill to raise the debt ceiling for a short amount of time while Congress nails down the details of a bigger deal. One hurdle on that is that lawmakers in both parties have rejected the idea of using that sort of fallback option, and it would be hard to rally support for a temporary remedy if negotiators don't really have a bipartisan deal in sight. Option three is perhaps the most far-fetched at the moment, and that's the sort of Senate fallback option. And in that one, it's basically this notion that Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell could sort of swoop in and broker a deal with Biden if negotiations sour between Kevin McCarthy and the White House. Now, Mitch McConnell does not want to do that. He has said as much. (laughs) Seeing as talks are currently taking place between designees of Biden and Kevin McCarthy, that would really be a major reversal, and not necessarily one that would even have an easy path in the House. So, as the weekend begins, you can expect that to be driving a lot of the chatter among people in the know in Washington. At the same time, President Biden is facing pressure on his left flank over what to or to not include or to agree to in any sort of negotiation, in any sort of compromise around the debt ceiling deal. And joining me to discuss is Playbook co-author Ryan Lizza. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning, Zach. So yesterday you spoke with two prominent House progressives who are actively involved in this fight in sort of putting pressure on Joe Biden from the left. What did you hear from them? So I I don't think it's any coincidence that some folks in the Congressional Progressive Caucus are raising their voices this week. As we approach the endgame here, there's a lot of concern and they're in a very different place than they have been the first two years of the Biden administration. Democrats are no longer in the majority, of course, in the House. They're not fighting with moderates over how many trillions of dollars to spend on legislation. Instead, they're fighting to prevent Biden from cutting a that they see as a bad deal with Kevin McCarthy. And they don't have the same kind of leverage they once did when, you know, if they held together and threatened to block legislation, they could squeeze out concessions. And so I should note that the two that you spoke with were Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. And AOC is 
someone who has a gigantic public persona and a huge public following. And Ilhan Omar has a, a large public persona too, but Ilhan Omar is in the leadership of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, while AOC, I think a lot of her power probably comes from her ability to marshal people outside of Congress. Do you see any difference in the way that they are approaching how they talk about this, or are they more or less singing from the same hymnal here? On the broad stuff, very similar. They are both really pushing for Biden to start threatening the use of the 14th Amendment in this negotiating process. Both Omar and AOC really, really emphasized that. They both also emphasized their concern about the White House conceding to work requirements, Mm -hmm. being tied to certain government benefits. With AOC, I think one of the more interesting parts of the conversation was just talking to her about like, you know, she's a celebrity in a lot of ways. She's a famous person, Mm -hmm. right? People who don't know much about politics often do know who she is. And so, yeah, I was asking her like how she leverages that influence and power at a moment like this. And I thought one thing that she said in in talking about that that was really interesting is she knows that the White House is sensitive to public pressure, to public opinion. She saw that strategy work during negotiations over the infrastructure bill and the IRA. And I think this is sort of the moment where she realizes it's worth speaking out a little bit, putting pressure on the White House. So- in the next couple of days, you know, it's not that we're necessarily expecting that there is going to be some sort of deal that's brokered here, but as we get closer to the X date and, you know, as the congressional reality sort of comes up against the limits of time, what are the potential stumbling points, uh, both politically or from a negotiating standpoint? I'll be looking for those first signs of a framework agreement. And, you know, maybe before that, waiting, you you, want to watch what are the other policy issues similar to work requirements that leak out as either trial balloons or because one side or the other is trying to scuttle a policy. You know, those are usually signs of progress, frankly. I mean, the fact that the, the work requirements leaked out, Biden had to respond to it. He said something vaguely positive about it. The left is now freaking out about that. If you squint, that's sort of a sign of progress, right? Because it means concessions are being made. And at least on the Democratic side, they're trying to feel what level of opposition or support that one policy would run into in the House. And people like AOC and Elon Omar speaking out is part of the process because there's deep concern about what a deal might look like. The other thing, now that the 14th Amendment has become a priority for so many Democrats in Congress, look for whether the White House raises that again or they just sort of shut it down. Biden raised it once, but then quickly shut it down. You know, the progressive view of that is it's a good backstop. It's Even if you're going to negotiate a deal, you should have that in your back pocket as a threat to strengthen your negotiating position. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us, Ryan. Thanks, Zach. And for an expanded schedule of everything happening in DC today and for more reporting, be sure to check out Playbook at politico.com slash playbook. I'm Zach Stanton. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend.